All right, it's being that kind of a morning. I'm just going to let you know. We're doing a yard sale over here, and um, yeah, it's it is definitely being a um a morning. So it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We're good. Hi, howdy. How's everybody? So we're we're doing good. Everything's good. Don't worry. Don't you worry. Yes, I'm like wearing a baseball cap and a t-shirt today. Again, like I said, we're, we're doing a yard sale. So I got up at the crack of before dawn and um, got things set up and got things going and working out in the yard sale stuff. And, and yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun kind of thing. Good morning. Good. I was wondering, cause it's still saying sending data. So I wasn't sure if it was working yet or not. Ah, uh, so kind of grunged up, ready to get back out there and work because Sonny wants me back out there working. It's fine. It's good. So because of that, we're just going to dig into this. We're going to get started. Uh, this is study number eight out of 10. So we have eight, nine, 10, three more studies to go. So two more after this, and we are finishing up the book of James. And so this is chapter four, verses one to 12. So we're just doing kind of that first section of chapter four, and this is about the war within, okay? So let's dig into this. And we're reading again out of the ESV translation. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brothers, other translations say brothers and sisters, just so you know, this was just uh, the natural speak of the day. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Wow. Okay. So right off the bat, he sounds like, yeah, we're going to have dogs whining and stuff in here, guys. Sorry. They've already pushed the door open. Uh, so apologize. It's what we get today. All right, it's fine. So he sounds right off the bat like an Old Testament prophet, just really out there in your face. You need to recognize your wrongdoings so that we can move forward because 
I mean, if you do any kind of, you know, 12-step program or anything of this nature, one of the first things they let you know is for you to better yourself, you have to recognize your flaws. You have to recognize the issues that's been going on and that you have. And so he's pointing out some of these problems because you can't solve a problem that you say doesn't exist. Okay, let's break this down. We have verses one to six, which is a war within. Seven to 10 is the cure for worldliness, right? Because as he said, and we'll, we'll get when, get there when we get there, but friendship with the world is enmity with God, right? And then 11 to 12 is do not judge, okay? So first of all, this is wrapping up that ABA section, that ABA writing technique, right? So we have the danger of the tongue, the cure, and now back to the danger again, okay? So verse one, and this is a lot. There's, it's a decent sized section. There's a lot in here. There's a lot of really interesting tidbits inside of this. So I'm going to try to, to push through this. I apologize if it feels like I'm pushing, but this 12 verse section, if I was going to preach it uh, and really expound upon this deeply, deeply, I mean, this, I try for this to be a deeper study, but I don't want this to be necessarily seminary deep, right? Most of us don't need seminary deep. So I want it to be deeper than we typically get, but not going to college level, okay? But with this, if I was going to preach this and expound upon this to a little bit more of a degree, these 12 verses would probably take me three or four weeks to get through, just to give you an idea. There's so much inside of here that we could we could teach, but I'm going to try to condense it down. So we're, we're just going to kind of push through some of this. So verse one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Yes, that is why I drink coffee. Okay, so James has been speaking about how not many should teach, right? Beginning of this ABA style. Not many of you should teach. Why? Because your tongue causes issues and that causes strife among the church, right? That their words caused, cause, is causing divides and war in the church. That their selfish ambition was the cause of this, okay? Now he's gonna take that a step further by addressing how these issues are really inside of us. Okay, look at, look at Romans 7, 23 recommend you write down some of these extra verses so that you, you know, you can really take a look at them, study it a little deeper. There's some throughout here that I'm just going to give you. So just be ready for that. I'm just going to give you what they are and you can look them up yourselves. Okay. Romans 7, 23 says this, but I see in my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul is even saying there's a law of sin that just dwells inside of me. It's part of being born in the world, right? You're born into sin. And so that just kind of lives inside of you. Okay. Passions. Is it not this, that your passions are at war inside of you? What even Paul was talking about in Romans there. Now this word passions is hedone, right? I know I said it wrong. It's fine. It's good. We love it. Uh, this is the desire for pleasure. That is what a passion is, right? So, but the, that word literally defines as the desire for pleasure. Now, this term is where we in English get the term hedonism. Okay, that is where hedonism originates from, which is a belief in ethics. It's an ethical belief and it is a full belief system. Uh, 
that the ultimate good is the fulfillment of one's desires and the fulfillment of their pleasures. Like if it feels good, then it has to be good, right? That's the only way it can be. Like if it feels bad, then clearly don't do it. Like the doctor says, you know, it hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that. Like, oh, okay, right? It's that, that concept, but not to the joking level, right? Now, the, the language here is incredibly strong. And it honestly is very violent in nature, right? And this, there's there's debates amongst theologians with how James is writing. Is is some of the murder that we're seeing in number in verse two here, is some of this literal? It's best, I think, to to keep this as a metaphorical. We don't have evidence that really suggests that there were actually murders being committed inside the church for for power struggles and things of that nature. It's most likely going to be uh, metaphorical and theoretical, right? Like you're just murdering with your mind kind of thing. Uh, and you're murdering the doctrine at that point and the scripture and you're murdering other issues, but you're not literally murdering people. But some theologians do argue the type of language that he's using might indicate that there were actually murders taking place during some of these power struggles back in and the first century for this. Okay, we're going to continue on. So your passion, right? That your passions are at war within you. Verse two, your desire, excuse me, you desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet and obtain and you can't obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, which then really rolls into three. But we're just going to take a second. Let's look at verse two. So these one section leads to the next section leads to the next section. So not having your desires leads to frustration. This frustration leads to lashing out in anger and abuse, right? We see this even today in the church. Sometimes people will have anger and they they frustrated about things and they get angry and so they lash out and it turns into some form of abuse, not necessarily physical, but it can, but mental abuse, you know, you start becoming abusive in nature, which would be the murder context here, which most theologians, and I would tend to agree with this, by the way, uh, would say that this is James leaning towards Jesus's teachings, which we see in, in five uh, Matthew 5, 21 or 22. You've heard that it was said of those of, excuse me, said to those of old that you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, takes it to the next level, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment, meaning that's the same degree as murder because you've already murdered them in your heart. All right, Bruno, come on, buddy. Get the, the dogs going. All right. So whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. So Jesus takes it to the next step and says, if you're angry and you hate that person in your heart, then you've already murdered them in your heart, right? So this is James taking that same concept and applying it here, right? So, so frustration, not having leads to frustration. Frustration leads to acting out in anger, uh, out of the jealousy, right? And this jealousy, covet, uh, leads to even more anger and more abuse. And that cycle just rolls and it gets worse and worse. Okay. And to where you're disregarding others and you only care about your, goes back to the very beginning of this topic, your selfish ambition, right? So you want, I'm frustrated because 
I don't have. So I'm angry about it. And I'm lashing out in anger because of this jealousy towards whatever, because I should be getting this. I deserve better. So I'm lashing out in anger and jealousy, even if I'm trying to hide it. I'm lashing out because I'm jealous, right? And that turns to even more abuse. And it all comes back to me. It's that selfish nature of I deserve, I should have, right? Something that we constantly are working with with our kids. You, you aren't owed much of anything, right? If you want it, you need to work for this. You need to ask God for this, but you also have to meet God there. God doesn't always just come down and just grant your wishes. He's not a genie, you know? He doesn't just come out and give. He comes and he expects us to meet him halfway. We have a job to do in this life as well, okay? And then he says something that is very interesting, which leads into verse three. You lack because you don't ask. You don't have because you do not ask. Let's look at Matthew again, 7, 7 to 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? poisonous snake, right? If if you then who are evil by nature, adding the by nature, that was me, uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Well, also we as earthly evil people, right? Born into evality, I suppose would be a term. If not, I just coined it. We'll go with that. Evality. Um, if we being born into evil, know that sometimes it's not good to give my child what they're asking for because it will do them harm. How much more will my father in heaven who sees the whole picture? Even with the little limited picture that we get, we still see it. So how much more with him having that full picture when he holds back saying, this will be bad for you. I'm not going to give that to you, right? So don't just think that just because we ask, it's always going to be given. God sometimes answers with a no, and sometimes that no is for our best, okay? Now, three, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, there's, there are things and there are ways to approach God. There are things to approach God with. There are things not to approach God with. There are things and ways to approach God. There are ways not to approach God, okay? When it says pray for your enemy, it doesn't mean pray for them to be hurt. It does not mean pray for them to lose, right? It doesn't mean pay, pray for bad for them. No, 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 We are to pray for them for their best interest as well, okay? Not just for things that they want, but for God to work in their lives, okay? We are to pray for our enemies, not pray for them to suffer. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense, right? Let me know if that's making sense to you guys if, or if I'm trying too hard to push through this a little too fast. The dog's too loud, whatever. So there are things to approach with and there are ways to approach, okay? Now I have in the margins of my study Bible that I go through and, and I do my studies and, and make my notes in. And on the my margin of this specific section, I have it written down right on the edge. The why matters, Okay. Why you ask for what you ask matters as much as what you ask for. Whew. 
barking and under the piano and that feels that feels amazing this morning. Sorry. I, I'm in a position where I can't just get up and, and lock the door and everything. So sorry. Ah, fun day. So there are things to ask for, things not to ask for, ways to ask. The why matters. Okay. The why matters. Let's take a look at first John chapter five. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Didn't I just read this? I feel like. No, I didn't. Okay. It just go, co- coincides really well. Sorry. I read this earlier. Uh, coincides really well with that Matthew 7, right? Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son... No, I did literally just read, read this. You know what? Hang on. I think when I copied this, when I copied this, I just copied... Da-da-da-da. I did. When I copied it, I copied uh, the wrong direction. I didn't uh, copy the next piece. So hang on. Let me get there. Here we go. First John. We have five. I will be reading this one out of the New King James. 14 to 15. All right. First John 5. 14, 15 out of the New King James because that's the Bible I had right here that I grabbed. 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, we already did a study in 1 John, so you can go back into the archives um, on YouTube, and, and you can watch that study if you haven't seen it. But we, we did a whole, a whole piece in this. It is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, here's the note. This is the important part. According to his will, he hears us, right? So we shouldn't, he doesn't will for us to will bad for others. He wills for us to want the best. He wills for us to want the best for the church, for the body, right? The capital C church, the whole body of Christ, right? The body. Okay, God wants us to want his will and his glory and not to fulfill our selfish passions, right? It's not about me. We have to stop worrying so much about me and God being on my side and worry about being on God's side, okay? He wants us to want his will. Like even when Jesus was teaching how to pray, your will be done. When Jesus taught that, that's what he taught us was look for his will, not try to force his will into your life. Like say, I want this. So God come behind and back me up. No, go the other way. But I want to point out here, not all pleasure is bad. Okay. Because he's talking about these pleasures and these earthly desires. Not all of this is bad, right? We see throughout scripture in multiple places that, that pleasure itself is not necessarily bad. We see 1 Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes in the uncertainties of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He richly provides us with everything to enjoy in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay. We are to enjoy things. God's given this stuff for us to enjoy, 
but we need to enjoy it and do this thing, these things to God's glory, right? Lift it up to him. Not all about us. Let's move to verse four. This is where things get a little intense. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, he's definitely speaking to the Jewish side in the readers, right? Because again, these readers, the readers that he's, the people that he's specifically writing to in the actual time, in the actual place when this was written, right? Yes, the Bible is a living document. It can speak to us and it can speak different things within, within reason, right? Speak different things to us at different times of our lives. But this is an epistle. This epistle was an actual physical letter written to specific people in a specific time. That is why in the first lesson, we go through the history. We want to learn what are they doing? What's going on? What's happening at the time? Who's in charge? What's the main things and thesis happening in that area? So that when we read this and we pull and glean the information from it, we grab what is intended rather than what things might mean in our current situation. We need to take what was meant and apply that to our lives, not just take it and fit things willy-nilly into our lives, okay? So he's speaking very directly to the Jewish side because these were Jews who accepted Jesus, right? So he's speaking to that side of them. And he's using incredibly harsh language and imagery that they very well understood. Why? Because he's speaking like a prophet of old. Let's look at Jeremiah 2.20. Now, I had to actually pull some of these... Uh, I actually had to go through and, and look at some of and, and pull some of these because this is broadcast on the internet. I don't know who's watching. And some of the language, this is why I always laugh when people, oh, mind your language in church. Like, yes, mind your language in church. But at the same time, read the Bible. The Bible uses some pretty colorful language at times too. So keep that in mind. So I actually had to go through and find certain verses that would work for this that didn't... Uh, I wouldn't be worried about having daughters, young daughters or sons asking parents who might've seen this saying, what is a blank? <laughs> so avoiding some of those conversations for you. While it's real, eh, let's avoid that. We, you know, I'll let you guys come up with those conversations on your own. So I uh, was like a Jer uh, Jeremiah 2.20. For of old, I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not trust uh, transgress. And on every high hill and under every green tree, you laid down playing the harlot. Okay. Wow. All right. Um, again, I had to pick and choose because most of the translations and most of the uh, other verses that I was looking at for this didn't use the term harlot. <laughs> it was a little bit more aggressive. Let's just put it that way. So... When he's saying, you adulterous people, this is very reminiscent to the Old Testament prophets. They used the imagery of harlots and adultery all of the time because Israel was cheating on God, right? When you, when you take time and you focus your attention and you create an idol, okay, we think about it. If you really take the time and think about what is idolatry, it's cheating on God. Jesus is what? The bridegroom. The church is what? The bride. 
And so if we change and we shift and we forget our first love, if we step away and we move away from Jesus, we then cheat on the bridegroom. What is that called? Adultery. The, the imagery speaks volume because while it is a metaphorical, when you're speaking in the way of metaphors, it is a literal piece. Our relationship with God and our relationship with Jesus, when we step away from that relationship and we pervert it in such a way that we go the wrong path, we are cheating on God in that relationship. We become adulterers. When we idolize ourselves and we put ourselves on the pedestal, when we work becomes the piece that matters. When even for pastors, this happens all the time, ministry. Ministry becomes the pedestal. It's all about the ministry. It's all about the numbers. It's all about my process and doing this piece. This piece is the only piece that matters. When that happens and you start putting that piece on the pedestal instead of Christ, you're cheating on God and it puts your faith in an adulterous position. Bet you haven't thought of it that way before. If you have, put it in the comments. I'm, I'm curious to see how many people have thought of it that way. So, but that's why when James and some of these authors write this way, that's what they're talking about. You are to love God. Now it is deeper and it's not like that romantic love. It's not a French love kind of thing, but we are to love God very deeply. And when we cheat and when we go a different way, we are cheating on God like an adulterous person. I was going to say an adulterous bride because he's our bridegroom. But I don't want people to think, see, it's just for women. No, it's all the way across. Okay? See, sin, especially habitual sin, is akin to cheating on Christ the bridegroom. Let's look at Revelation um, 2.4. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love of you had at first. We can also look at Jeremiah 3, 6 to 10, um, Hosea 1, 2. You guys, you can look those up. We just don't have time, okay? We just don't have time for all that. See, friendship with the world is en enmity with God, right? It's not declaring that all things of the world are bad, but rather longing after the world and putting the world in that pedestal and, and saying, I am more in love with the world than I am with God. I'm willing to lay down on the sword for the world from God's sword towards the world. I'm willing to lay down on that sword to protect the world from God rather than standing up to the world for God, okay? Friendship with the world like that is enmity with God, okay? Matthew 6.10, or excuse me, 6.24 says this, no one can serve two masters for either you he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money, in this point, we could just use that as a representation of the world because the world says it's all about me and my pleasures, and most people's pleasure, let's be honest, starts with money. So it is impossible to satisfy the expectations of those who are not believers and to please God. Look at Galatians. For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay. Some of these things just, they add up. It just works together. You can't seek, uh, serve one and the other. You have to choose. And if you're going to be a servant for Christ, then you can't try to go for the approval of 
man. Okay, whoever wants to be friends, and that's why I was saying, if you want to be friends with the world, this is enmity with God because you can't satisfy the expectations of the unbelievers and please God at the same time. Now, I want you to notice a lot of this is coming from Matthew. Um, a lot of these quotes are coming from Matthew. Side note, this is a really good indication, and this is one of the reasons why it's so strongly emphasized and suggested and believed that the James who wrote this was the James, the brother of Jesus, because he was there the whole time. And so it just makes sense that he is naturally teaching Jesus's teachings, pulling more directly from them. Okay. And you notice that from uh, study one, we talked about that in, in the first study. So if you got to go back, maybe go back and, and watch that. It's a good thing. It's a good study. Uh, all right. Verse five. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that has made, that he has made to dwell in us? Oh, thank you. Someone shut the door. Yay. All right. This is really odd and really interesting, at least to me. No one knows what, if any, actual scripture he's pulling from. There's not, there's just not a spot that that is actually a quote or a, a close enough of a quote, because remember back in the day and the dog is right back in, push the door open. Okay. All right. So there is no actual scripture because remember back then they didn't have tons of copies. Not every household had a Bible or 10. Like we, I, depends on how many Bibles you have in your house, right? If every person in your family has one then you have a bunch, they didn't have that. They had them written down on scrolls and then papers, and they were basically held at the synagogue, and they would come out and read it, and that was it. They would The rabbis would come, and they would read it, and that was all you got. Oral tradition is what you had, and so it's very possible that he's going off of an oral tradition that was taught by other rabbis that actually wasn't based on the actual scripture or wasn't actually written in there, but the most likely what's happening is that to the degree of it just works with general observations of God's own jealous nature towards his creation, namely us people, right? And and you can look at Exodus 20 uh, verse 5, Exodus 34, 14. You can look in Psalms 78, 58 and 79, 5. There's so many different examples and references that he could be pulling bits and pieces from, but that actual quote doesn't really, isn't really in there. So chances are he's either basing it off of something that is a, a somewhat famous rabbi of the time uh, was saying and it was teaching. And so, you know, here it is. But most likely, he's just really grabbing onto God's jealous nature and he's teaching the teaching rather than teaching the direct quote, okay? Now, um, this goes back to, again, the friendship with the world, right? This would invoke God's jealousy, Okay, that's a note to this, right? That friendship with the world will invoke God's jealousy. So this that really fits with that message, okay? Now, the spirit. Spirit, God deeply desires that our spirits worship him, right? And worship him in what? Spirit and truth, right? Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And then we look at John chapter four. 
But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. All right. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. That's good news, right? After, after basically being called an adulterer and talking about the problems, right? God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, this is pretty much a direct quote. Uh, most translations have it slightly different, but that's okay. It is essentially a direct quote of Proverbs 3. 34. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Okay. Let's see. Opposes. Now, opposes, oppose is to resist and or send judgment, right? You're going to hold, you're resisting against, or you're sending judgment towards, right? God's sending judgment towards. As the proud, the proud have decided to stand against God and to praise the world, because if we're praising ourselves, we're still praising the world, right? Because you're either choosing God's side or you're choosing the world's side. So if you're standing up for yourself and saying, it's me, 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 you're going for the world. Okay? Let's take a look at 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the same quote, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, which is, again, that Proverbs 3.34. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. Notice that. He says the same thing in 1 Peter. Humble yourselves so that at the right time, God can exalt you. It's the same thing. God brings up and lifts up the humble. So we need to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God and to Christ and to living his way and going his way, going for his plan and his desire and his will, not our own. Which takes us into the cure for worldliness. That's a great transition, right? So you transition to that. God wants the humble, not the proud, right? You Choosing the world, choosing yourself is being an in enmity, being an enemy of God, right? Now, the cure for this, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's the natural, natural transition, right? Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let's do, because this goes to 8a. It's like the first half here. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So the Lord of the world is the devil, right? And we are to resist the devil, and the way we do this, we resist the devil by drawing near to God. That's how we resist, as we get closer to God. The deeper into God's kingdom, the closer to God you are, the harder it is for the devil to get to you. Doesn't mean he doesn't attack. Doesn't mean he doesn't still launch things. Doesn't mean things here on earth don't still cause problems and our issues. But that's how we battle this, as we get close to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure this. 
take a look at Luke 4.13. And this is about Jesus being tempted by the devil. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That portion of Luke was the the Satan coming and tempting Jesus. Oh, you can do this. I'll give you the world. I'll give you this. No, no, no. So after that was done, he'd ended every temptation. He departed. He left. This isn't working. I'm just going to go somewhere else. Okay. So we follow Jesus's commands and we follow Jesus's example, right? A, B, draw near to God. Excuse me. B, cleanse your hands. Here, let's see. If you come up. Will you be quiet if you come up? Hi. You guys can all say hi to Bruno. This is Bruno. All right. All right. 8B, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Go to nine. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. James, again, is speaking like an Old Testament prophet, and he's pushing hard into the reader's reality, right? They're Jews, right? They've been Jewish for their whole lives, their reality is very Jewish. They understand the concept of this, right? When when we hear, uh, you know, rip at your clothing, tear your clothes and, and cover yourselves in ashes, like they would literally grab their clothing and rip them. Like these aren't just sayings. These weren't sayings to them. This was their reality, okay? So he's pushing very hard into that Jewish reality and says, this gives us a good indication as to how little they were actually caring about their sins. That selfish ambition and that selfish desire and trying to take over and take control of the church at the time, right? Because remember, that's what this was all about, was people were trying to, to cause issues and cause strife inside of the church so that they could potentially take over, which we still see this a lot today, right? And they cared so little about these sins that he has to be incredibly harsh to them to put things into perspective. When you're doing this and you're hurting the rest of the body, you are becoming an adulterer to God. Crazy, crazy how hard he's pushing this. And then he tells them traditional Jewish concepts for mourning and weeping to turn away from that and saying, you should be so ashamed of yourselves that you need to take away this laughter. You need to become a wretch and mourn and weep. And your laughter, no, that needs to go away. You need to be mourning. In fact, in Jewish customs, when people would mourn, like when someone would die, they hired professional mourners to help them mourn. That's how intensely they mourn. He's saying, you need to take that laughter and throw that away, and you need to be mourning over how horrible you have been. This is a very Old Testament style reminder. Very Old Testament prophet style reminder. You have been so bad that the Holy Spirit is speaking through me in a way that is very remnant of hey, God's going to kick your hiney because you guys have been that horrible. That's intense. That is really, really intense. Especially today in a world where so many people want to push this concept of God is always that kumbaya love, right? Everything is love. Everything is love. There is justice in God. There is mercy. There is grace. There is justice in God. Our God is a jealous God. 
Not everything is the kumbaya God, okay? But as we'll see here, um, actually, I think it was stuff that I, I was doing for the dailies because I was doing daily ones as well when I was working on this. Um, you know, we need to let God's vengeance and let him take vengeance. We need to step back and let him take care of that, okay? Because we are to be representatives of him and of that love and of that dignity and let God handle those problems, Okay. But examples to the, this be wretched and mourn, take a look at like Exodus chapter 30, Isaiah 15, Jeremiah 6. There's, it's all over the Old Testament, but you can take a look at some of that and see just how intense this reminder really is, okay? Okay, I have lost control. Hang on, let's get him back in here. See, there we go. Get the mouse on there, Sorry. It's been a morning. What do you do? I probably bumped something. So James repeats in verse 10, he repeats the idea from verse six. Okay. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you, right? Give God grace. Excuse me. God gives grace to the humble. So be humble because if you exalt yourself, that ex exaltation is already there. If you exalt yourself, God won't. But if you're humble, he will. Matthew 23, uh, 12. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Catch that. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You want to stand up? You do it by getting on your knees. Okay. And then we also see, this is an interesting format. All right. We also see uh, verses 9 to 10. So when they're together, that's right. That's why. These two together. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This all comes together. <coughs> excuse me. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Okay, he takes this whole concept, again, pulling it from directly from Jesus's teaching, saying, you need to stop acting like the, uh, the atro atrocity, atrocity, wow, I can't even speak today, uh, how horrible you've been acting. You need to stop acting like this is nothing and no big deal. You need to mourn so that God can heal you and heal that part of you to move on. Okay. Then we get to the final part of this, which is do not judge. The last two verses, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and or sisters, right? The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, James brings back the topic that he started this whole ABA section, right? The tongue. Don't speak evil against one another, right? So he's bringing it all back, rolls it all back together. The tongue, speaking evil. Now, specifically speaking evil about one another, which is what? Slander. Okay, you're slandering one another. You're not just gossiping about, oh, did you see what Becky did? No, or what John did. I don't care. No, no, you're slandering. You're flat out talking ill about each other in hopes that their credibility goes down so that you can move in, right? This slandering against one and other is a problem. And it's still a problem in the church, right? It's still a problem in the world. So obviously it's still a problem in the church. The law here would indicate the Mosaic law, 
Okay, specifically, he's pointing more towards Leviticus 19, 16, and 17. You shall not go around as slanderer, as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. It says, I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you're in, you incur sin because of him. And this leads directly into the royal law, Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Matthew 22, 39. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so he's talking about the the actual Mosaic law out of Leviticus. Okay, the one who speaks against his brother, judges his brother, speaks evil against the Mosaic law and judges the Mosaic law. But if you judge the Mosaic law, you are not a doer of the Mosaic law, but a judge. Okay. Remember, he's speaking more to the Jewish side. They are believers. They, they are following Jesus, but they were raised as Jewish in the Jewish system, pre-Messiah for most of them, okay? So they, they are still holding on to this old way and are struggling to move up. And he's letting them know, this is like Paul spent a lot of time. There's, there's no Greek nor Jew. There is no circumcised and uncircumcised. It doesn't, that's, it, you move beyond it. It's not, that's not the point anymore. That's not, it was never the point, but we made it the point because we had to understand something and that's all we could understand. So we have to move beyond this. And that's what James here is saying. If you are judging your brothers based on the law, I don't want to just read into this because it's not explicit, but it's very easy to get the conceptualization and conceptualize here what's going on. You have someone teaching and trying to teach Jesus. You have someone else who says, no, I understand the old scriptures better. I should be in power and trying to bring in this very Jewish system. Remember, we had these group known as the Judaizers who would go through and trying to tell people, you need to be Jewish then you can become Christian. So trying to convert the, the Gentiles, the, the pagans, into Jews and have them fully convert to Jews, which is why circumcision is such a big deal in Paul's writings, because to convert to a Judaism, you have to then be circumcised. So come in to be a Jew, and then once you finally and fully accept Judaism and go through those steps and are okay here, then you can become a Christian. Okay? So it's very easy to, to realize what's happening you have people trying to force Judaism and then adding something on top of Christianity. But Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill the law. Right? And these people are still coming in and trying to enforce the law. And they're speaking bad. And they're judging people based on the law. You're not good enough because of A, B, C, D, whatever. So now... Why would you follow that guy? He can't even do this. You should follow me. And so you start getting these divides and these splits and all of this stuff happening. And it's garbage, right? That's what's happening. And so James is coming in saying, 
If you're doing this, you're trying to not be a doer of the law. You're trying to be the judge of the law. And then he comes in with verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. And he is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? Who are you to judge your neighbor, right? There's just one. Guess what? You're not him. I'm not him. Thank God I'm not him. Whew. That would not be a fun job, and it would not be good for a lot of people who try to drive around Nampa. I oh, get my nerves going. Right? You're not him. God alone created all. He created the good. He created the just. He created the harmony. He created mercy and grace. Have you ever thought about that? The only reason mercy and grace exist on the planet, not just godly, but period, is because he put them there. That is not a natural human outpouring. What is? Selfish ambition. It's all about me. Survival of the fittest. Look at what, even look at the science of today. What do you have? Survival of the fittest. It gets rid of the weak. It gets rid of all of this. All this other stuff is gone. The only reason these things are there, all of the things that the world turns around and even says, this is beautiful. This is, this is how everything should be. The only reason it's there is because God put it there. Because God imparted his character into the creation. Okay? We're not the judge. There's only one, and that's God. That's Jesus, right? And all of these things are here because of him. Okay, the one who created the law and gave it meaning. There's only one who can save and there's only one who can destroy. So who are you to judge? That's what he's saying. Who are you to judge your neighbors, right? There's a difference. I want to point this out really, really fast because we've got to wrap this up because this is a long one. We're already at basically 50 minutes. Who are you to judge? There's a difference between judging and holding accountable because this is a different thing. He's sitting here saying, who are you to judge against the law, the Mosaic law, right? Who are you to judge? Who are you to do this? You are not the judge. There's a difference between these judging and holding each other accountable. We are to hold each other accountable. Let's look at uh, verse, excuse me. Let's look at First uh, Corinthians 5, 12 to 13. For what I've, have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Which is really to hold accountable, right? God judges those outsides, but, but he says, purge the evil person from among you. Like if somebody is inside just trying to destroy things, get rid of them. Push them out. Clearly they're not following Christ. Like it's, I hate to say it because that is not something that we like to discuss in today. That is scriptural. I hate to say it. There it is. It's right there. It's right there. First Corinthians 5, 12 to 13. All right. Note. This is actually coming from and basically a note. So if you read in a lot of study material, they talks and notes that to Matthew 13, 30, which is dealing with the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Those are linked together. That's most study Bibles. Well, I can't say most. Of the study Bibles and the study material I'm doing, most of those have been linking that together. Okay? So just keep that in mind. But we also have Galatians 6, 1 to 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, an, in any transgression... 
You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, here's the key. How do we do this? In the spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, Matthew 7, 1 to 5, last one. Judge not that you be not judged. Okay. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So the worse and the harsher you are, the more harsh it's going to be towards you. That's what that's saying. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But don't notice the log that's in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's that log in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own. Then you'll see more clearly and you will see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Sorry, I kind of added a couple little things in there. So take the log out of your own eye and, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So emphasizing, sorry. Bad uh, on me on that part, but that's Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Okay, so what can we take away from this, right? This is really deep. There's a lot in it. Like I said, uh, I could have probably broken this up into like three or four different pieces, but I just wanted to, I wanted us to get through that section. And you guys, I want you guys to have the ability to take the time to really meditate on it and let that soak in, okay? Instead of letting me teach you everything, I'm teaching you the base of this. Now we can let the spirit teach you the rest of it because that's better. He's going to do a much better job than I will. But more often than not, the issues we have between each other and inside the church stem from a selfish desire to be pleased. Now for too long, the world is, uh, sorry, too long for the world is to cheat on the Lord, right? So our selfish desires. Can I, can I finish like just 10 or 15? It doesn't matter. That's why it was marked. I didn't see Love you. It's okay. It's okay. All right. Sorry guys. Um, so yeah, to long for the world is to cheat on the Lord. Not having your desires leads to frustration. Frustration leads to lashing out in jealousy, which leads to more anger and abuse and disregarding others, which and only caring about your selfish ambition. And and prayer leads to healing, right? So we need to be praying about this and we need to get to God so that we can be healed of this so that we don't continue this cycle and it just gets worse and worse. Okay, God gives grace to the humble and you cannot choose both God and the world, right? The sins of the world, right? You can't choose God and the sins of the world. We need to humble ourselves and recognize where we are. And we must turn our focus on God and off of ourselves, Stop talking badly about one another and stop judging. There is but one judge. Edify, uplift, equip, hold accountable, but do it in love. Right? That's our job inside the church. We are to edify. We are to uplift. We are to equip. We are to hold each other accountable and help out that way in love. Okay, in love. Thank you, Father, for today, for this word. And there's so much in it, but thank you so much for everything that you're teaching us here. And I just ask that you 
really open up our hearts and you open up our minds and that you help this seep into us and help us grow through this. God, I just ask that you you give us a great weekend and you have your will be done. And Father, I've been getting a lot of reports from, from friends overseas of the massive flooding happening through this monsoon. God, I just ask that you you be with your people and you protect your people during this monsoon season and you help the, the floodwaters to go away, to recede. God, I just protect and be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, thank you guys so much. I'm going to go work a yard sale because... That's what's going on. We're having questions. Some Apparently, some of our uh, pricing tags are flying off. And so I've got to go out there and help with that. So have a great weekend. We'll talk to you guys later. God bless. Bye-bye.